Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In many ways, Joseph Goldberger's filth parties were pretty tame. These get-togethers took place in medical clinics with no booze or music and just a handful of guests. But the appetizers? Well, those definitely lived up to the name of filth parties. Goldberger was a tall doctor from New York City with a firm jaw and wavy red hair. In 1916, he was studying a mysterious disease called pellagra, which caused skin rashes and diarrhea. During his research, he'd scrape scabs off his patient's skin to study them, as well as collect urine and stool samples. Pretty standard stuff. But what happened next violated every rule of hygiene imaginable. Before each filth party, Goldberger took the scabs and urine and feces and mixed each ingredient with some flour. He proceeded to knead the mass into small bites. Then, with a sigh or a prayer, every guest at the party had to choke these appetizers down. In fact, calling this a filth party seems like an understatement. So what on earth would possess someone to do this? Well, science, for one thing. Goldberger was trying to prove that, unlike most epidemic diseases, pellagra was not caused by germs and was therefore not contagious. But deeper than that, Goldberger was also motivated by anger. Politicians had been attacking him for his research, calling him a fool and a liar. Even worse, the attacks prevented patients from getting help, delays that led to death. Swallowing scabs and feces may sound extreme, but to a crusader like Joseph Goldberger, it was the only reasonable thing to do. Hi, I'm Sam Keen. And you're listening to The Disappearing Spoon, a topsy-turvy, sciency history podcast, where footnotes become the real story. Goldberger worked for a government agency called the Public Health Service, or PHS, and he was famous, or notorious, for his obsessive focus. While researching typhoid fever one year at the Library of Congress, he got pretty whiny about having to lead the library every night at closing time. Eventually, the library staff got so exasperated that they just gave him an alarm clock and a bed and let him sleep there. But he was hardly a mere bookworm. 
He explored disease outbreaks from Ellis Island to Latin America. In every location, he tramped from house to house and town to town, real shoe leather epidemiology. He ended up catching yellow fever, dengue fever, and typhoid fever for his troubles. But he always got results. His work on containing measles helped scientists chop the normal quarantine time in half. Wish we'd had something like that nowadays. He also developed offbeat methods for controlling diseases. While visiting Mexico, he noticed that disease-carrying mosquitoes often laid their eggs in the holy water basins at churches. So despite being Jewish, he'd duck into every church in every small town and bless himself. And when no one was looking, he'd slip a mercury bichloride tablet into the font to kill the mosquito eggs. Worked like a charm. Goldberger would need all that cunning and more to fight pellagra. Although it's largely forgotten today, pellagra was the worst dietary epidemic in American history. Its symptoms included the so-called three Ds, diarrhea, dementia, and dermatitis, or skin rashes. Sadly, diarrhea, dementia, and dermatitis were often followed by the fourth D, death. Between 1900 and 1940, the U.S. suffered 3 million pellagra cases, with 100,000 deaths. Some years, it killed more people than typhoid, smallpox, measles, scarlet fever, polio, and the flu combined. Most doctors back then considered pellagra an infectious disease that was spread by germs. That's because a famous report called the McFadden-Thompson Report had found that pellagra was far more common in neighborhoods with bad sewers and bad sanitation. The report also found that the best predictor of whether someone would get pellagra was whether their neighbor also had it. These are classic traits of infectious diseases. Overall, the McFadden-Thompson Report seemed to make a strong case for an infectious disease and it would soon go down in history as a classic epidemiological study, just not in the way its authors intended. Goldberger began investigating pellagra in 1914. He was shocked at how common it was in southern states especially, thousands upon thousands of cases. But after visiting dozens of towns, he decided that the infectious disease theory did not make sense. His biggest clue came from orphanages and insane asylums. These institutions had hundreds of cases of pellagra among the orphans and patients, but zero cases among the doctors and nurses on staff, even though the staff was in close contact with the pellagra victims. That just did not make sense for an infectious disease. Instead of germs, Goldberger zeroed in on another possible culprit, an incredibly monotonous diet. Back then, poor Southerners got most of their calories from just three foods, the so-called three M's. Cornmeal, dried meat, especially pork, and molasses for syrup. The reason for this monotonous 3M diet was simple. Dried meat, cornmeal, and molasses were all inexpensive, which made them attractive for orphanages and asylums. Ditto for farmers. Cotton was still king in the South then, and to make ends meet, poor sharecroppers had to grow cotton right up to their front doors. This left no room for gardens or livestock that could have introduced more fresh and varied foods into their meals. Now, to be sure, 
The 3M diet did contain plenty of calories. People weren't starving. But given the lack of fresh vegetables, fresh meat, and fresh dairy, Goldberger suspected that the 3M diet lacked some essential nutrient. So he set out to prove this with a series of experiments. First, he picked a few orphanages and asylums and started feeding people there a varied diet with plenty of fresh foods like eggs, milk, and peas. The improvements were dramatic. Rates of pellagra plummeted. Some asylum inmates saw their mental symptoms improve so much that they got discharged and sent home. The orphans felt so much better that they cheered Dr. Goldberger whenever he showed his face. This experiment proved that you could cure pellagra through diet alone. And sadly, the orphanages then supplied more proof later. After the experiment ended, the skin-flint administrators there went right back to cheap 3M food. And guess what? Pellagra rates shot right back up. For his next experiment, Goldberger asked the governor of Mississippi for access to a prison near Jackson. He wanted to find a dozen healthy prisoners and put them in sterile cells to eliminate all chance of infection. Then he'd feed the men a typical southern diet and see whether they caught pellagra. In exchange for their help, the men would get pardoned. After hearing Goldberger's pitch, the governor agreed to help. Now, this experiment was controversial even back then. Half the prisoners selected were murderers, and two others were the governor's close personal friends who'd been convicted of embezzlement. And the experiment definitely wouldn't win approval today, since experimenting on prisoners is considered unethical. But research like this was acceptable back then, and the experiment went forward in the spring of 1915. At first, the prisoners thought they had died and gone to heaven. Their cells were spick and span, and they got all the biscuits, gravy, grits, and syrup they could choke down. It was the easiest time they had ever served. A few months later, they were singing a different tune. They were weak and pale and in constant pain. One man actually asked to be shot. By November, six had full-blown pellagra. A few of them could barely walk. Each man did get his pardon, plus $5 and a new suit. But they weren't sure the experience had been worth it. Goldberger, however, was thrilled. He'd already proved he could stop pellagra by adding fresh food to people's diets. Now he'd proved he could cause pellagra by denying people fresh food. Pellagra wasn't a germ disease at all. It was a disease of malnutrition and ultimately poverty. This insight also cast the old McFadden-Thompson report in a new light. That report had blamed pellagra on bad sanitation, and it was certainly true that pellagra thrived in neighborhoods with bad sewers, but only because bad sewers also correlated with poverty. In truth, the report turned out to be a classic example of a rookie scientific mistake, confusing correlation with causation. Pellagra and sanitation had nothing to do with each other, except for their common roots in poverty. 
Goldberger now had the key insight to stopping pellagra, help poor people get fresh food, and eat a more varied diet. But if he thought that simply publishing this result would stop the disease, he was sorely mistaken. Have you ever wanted to appreciate books or movies or music from another culture? Do you have a big trip coming up and want to get beyond the tourist spots and immerse yourself in local culture? No matter what the reason, Rosetta Stone is the language program for you. Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Millions have used it. Rosetta Stone knows what works for getting started, remembering what you've learned, and motivating you to stay on track. Plus, the built-in true accent feature gives you live feedback to improve your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. So don't put off learning that language. Start today. For a limited time, Disappearing Spoon listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com today. You see, pellagra was far more common in the agricultural-based South, which had more poverty than the industrialized North. And dating back to the Civil War, many politicians in the South resented the North and felt condescended to. So to them, Goldberger wasn't just highlighting a link between pellagra and Southern poverty. He was condemning their entire economic system, their entire way of life. Yet another Yankee invading their territory and attacking them. Soon, Southern doctors were accusing Goldberger of spreading propaganda and of faking his experiments. One doctor even denounced him for, quote, crucifying pellagra victims. The jazz singer Count Basie later captured this mind-your-business attitude in a song called Same Old South. Listen to this. Honey, shut my mouth Let the northerners keep our We'll stick to our southern pellagra It's the same old South Did you catch that? Let the Northerners keep Niagara, we'll stick to our Southern Pellagra. The song was satirical, but that get-out-of-here attitude was real. This hostility stunned Goldberger. He just wanted to fight diseases, not rehash the Civil War. But the more he pushed his data and results, the more his opponents dug in their heels and insisted that Pellagra was an infectious disease unrelated to poverty or malnutrition. Goldberger finally got so fed up that he dreamed up something drastic, an experiment so extreme that no one could refute it. And that's how the filth party was born. Goldberger started the filth parties in the spring of 1916. He held eight parties overall with 17 different guests. Most were other doctors, but he also invited his apparently very tolerant wife, Mary. As we heard, the parties included some interesting appetizers made with skin scabs and feces. Goldberger also injected his guests with blood from pellagra patients and smeared the inside of their noses with mucus discharge. As Goldberger later bragged, we just feasted on filth. During the parties, <coughs> several people got nauseous, understandably. 
Goldberger himself once caught a nasty case of diarrhea, one of the three dreaded Ds of pellagra. But six months after the parties ended, there were zero actual cases of pellagra among the 17 partygoers. They'd exposed themselves to the disease in the ickiest possible way. With cholera or typhus, that would have been a death sentence. With pellagra, nothing happened. In the end, Goldberger's filth parties won over several skeptics. But, predictably, politicians refused to back down. Some even blamed pellagra victims for their own disease. Even dumb animals knew how to eat right. These criticisms left Goldberger in despair. He once told a reporter, I'm only a bum doctor. What can I do about the economic conditions of the South? As one historian noted, he realized that he was fighting not so much human disease as human nature. And for that, there was no cure. Brokenhearted, Goldberger turned to laboratory work and began hunting for the missing nutrient in the diet of pellagra victims. He soon found that just a few cents worth of brewer's yeast could eliminate the disease. But he wanted to dig down even further to the specific molecule involved. He suspected it was a vitamin deficiency of some sort. This was a good guess. Research into vitamins had recently exploded, and the first Nobel Prize for vitamin work was awarded in 1929. Eight more Nobel Prizes for vitamin research followed in the 1930s. And in 1937, a biochemist in Wisconsin finally isolated the molecule responsible for pellagra. It's now called niacin, or vitamin B3. But at the time, some people called it vitamin G, in honor of Joseph Goldberger. Scientists now know that pellagra isn't just a simple niacin deficiency. Corn actually contains niacin, but in a chemical form that our bodies can't absorb. In fact, before contact with Europeans, some American Indian nations relied heavily on corn for calories. But the Indians rarely got pellagra because they had sophisticated ways of cooking and processing the corn. If you'd like to hear more about these sophisticated methods, check out the bonus episode for this podcast at patreon.com slash disappearingspoon. The bonus episode also discusses why some scholars think that pellagra victims were the historical inspiration for, of all things, vampires. In fact, the fifth D of pellagra might just be Dracula. Again, that's patreon.com slash disappearingspoon. Sadly, Goldberger did not live to see the discovery of niacin. He came down with kidney cancer and died suddenly in 1929 at age 54. To his wife's dismay, she had to fend off rumors that he'd actually died of pellagra, probably part of a scurrilous plot to make pellagra seem infectious after all. However fitfully, though, by following Goldberger's lead, the United States did more or less eliminate pellagra in the 1930s and 1940s. The fall of cotton prices during the Great Depression forced sharecroppers to plant a wider variety of crops, increasing their access to fresh produce. New Deal programs then helped spread electricity in the South, which allowed people to buy refrigerators to store fresh meat and dairy. Most important, Federal and state laws starting in World War II mandated the addition of niacin as a supplement in bread to make sure everyone consumed it. Look at your bread ingredients today. It's still in there. 
Nowadays, a disease that once plagued millions of people is exceedingly rare. A historian once said that Goldberger lived his research in a way that few other scientists do. It's true. And while he's largely forgotten today, his obscurity is actually, in a topsy-turvy way, a measure of his success. Diseases like malaria and AIDS and coronavirus still make headlines because they're so widespread and urgent. Goldberger's work all but eliminated pellagra, and he all but dropped out of history as a result. But given his dedication to public health, that's a trade-off he certainly would have accepted. Heck, if he'd lived, he might even have thrown a party to celebrate its disappearance. Perhaps with a little music, maybe in a swanky ballroom somewhere. And hopefully, a better spread of appetizers. For more information about this episode, visit patreon.com slash disappearing spoon. There, you can also suggest stories for future episodes, get signed merchandise, and find bonus material like extra podcasts and pictures. Also visit samkeen.com slash podcast. There you can find more incredible stories from my books and learn how to book me as a speaker at your school or event. And if you like this podcast, please spread the word to others, both online and in person. I'm listener-supported, and word of mouth means a lot. Thanks for listening to The Disappearing Spoon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.